Hello and welcome to another episode of My Life on the Line, a podcast by Ref Coach. I'm Jack and I'm joined by Ale and Benji. On this podcast, we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present, as well as the broader footballing world. What a guest we had today, Jack. Today we had Crawford Allen, Scotland's head of referees. Yeah, he was an absolute cracker, Ale. He was brilliant to talk to and I'm looking forward to hearing back this one. Crawford refereed the Scottish Premier League for over 10 years and has international experience as a fourth official in the Champions League and the Europa League. With his 29 years of experience in the refereeing world, he's now in charge of referees in Scotland, looking after their development, performance and operations. Crawford had some really good insights for us on this episode. First, we talked about how COVID impacted his referees, their education and their training, obviously moving from group training to solo training, but also how we manage his relationships with his former colleagues, moving into a position where he is their manager, which I found very interesting. Yeah, for, for me, that was fascinating, right? Because you go from recently retired a couple of years ago where these guys are your colleagues, your teammates, your friends, and, and now you're having to manage them and you know be that authoritarian figure, the leader. It, it must have been something, well, you know, we talk about it with, with Crawford, you'll hear about it, but it's something that's really difficult to do in any workplace, not just in football. Along with this, Crawford told us some really fun anecdotes and stories from his career, from telling off Luis Figo in, in a Champions League match to getting changed in his car because stuck in traffic on the way to a cup final. <laughs> that, that definitely was one of the highlights. Yeah, I mean, come on. The Luis Figo thing for you, Ale, was a highlight, testing your uh, Inter Milan knowledge. The game in question was CSK Moscow versus Inter. So I probably, I probably saw him doing that back in the days. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get on with today's show. I recommend a on-field review. How are you all doing this morning? Good. We're um we're very happy. We're much happier than the last time we spoke to you because we have uh <laughs> yeah. well, I won't make it sound too good because I know how the UK is going, but um we've managed to grasp back a little bit of normal life and freedom. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So back on the, the golf courses and uh, this weekend just gone was a long weekend. We had a public holiday, a bank holiday. So that was really nice. And the right. weather was good for the first time. So everyone's in a, in a good mood. Whereas it, yeah. it might yeah. not be so, not much so bad in Scotland. Scotland's a little bit better than England. Um, so we're not actually in any massive lockdown. England starts, I think, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we can still play golf, uh, which is good. Um, we're just not meant to travel outside of our local authority area. Um, mm. So for me, that's Edinburgh. Um, so thankfully, whilst the golf club I'm a member at isn't actually in Edinburgh, um, it's up at St. Andrews. Then oh, not the guys, these St. Uh, Andrews. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. Um it's quite lucky. It's quite nice to live in Scotland and be a member there. So Yeah. Um so no as it's um yeah, I get to play medals, competitions and there's seven courses in St Andrews and mm-hmm. um, that are all owned by the Lynx Trust. So we get to play them all. That's which phenomenal. is nice. And, and obviously uh, when oh, wow. the big tournaments come through you'll be first one for tickets and, and all that sort of thing. 
Yeah, they open. I tend to work at the open whenever the open's on. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not at St Andrews, I travel around. I usually take a week's holiday. I've done it for years. I love it. And um, but yeah, when the, like the Dunhill Cups on or um, the the ladies the open was on a, a year or so ago, um, then yeah, we get tickets all the time. We can go and get that. So it's only That's it's awesome. only fifty minutes from where I live to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's less than an hour drive. Um, so yeah, I played. I've been playing every Sunday up till last Sunday. Um, but we had a referee convention meeting on Sunday on Zoom with all our Category One referees. So couldn't play Sunday, which actually was a blessing because it absolutely the weather was terrible. Um, we had one of these <laughs> one of these autumn storms coming through. I think it was the tail end of a hurricane over in the states, which we always get about a week later when it goes up and over. Uh, Ali will know it from his time in Italy. Uh, from the the weather tends to come across the Atlantic and and hits us. Um, yeah. But we're that further north, so yeah, we're back on with the jumpers again. There's no sort of yeah getting out and driving everyone from across Scotland in the the wind and the rain to try and get to some venue mutually. How how have you found that? Is that is that going okay? Doing the video coaching as a group or one of the challenges we've had is getting all of the senior referees and we usually have a summer conference, a summer get together with all of our referees. So we've got 2000 odd referees every December and every June, we offer them the opportunity to come together for a, a big conference um, for one day. Um, but obviously <clears throat> we can't do that. So this Saturday, actually we brought it forward to this weekend. We've got a, uh, 250, 300 coming on a Zoom this weekend. So we've got nine simultaneous split into three groups of three. There's three topics. So one of the topics is handball. One topic is severity of challenge. And the other topic is man management, player management. And then we have the referees split. So the coaches will stay on their Zoom. And every 50 minutes, it's a session. The referees will go in, watch the videos, have a bit of debates, and then that lasts about 50 minutes. They then get a 10-minute break. They then leave. They then join another Zoom. So the coaches stay on the same Zoom call, um, but the referees circulate through the three. So it's three hours. We've got 10 till 1 on Saturday, and then two weeks after that, we've got another 250 coming. So as I say, we've got 2,000 referees, but I guess you guys will be the same when you get to your local amateur level. Not everybody comes to all your training meetings. Once they get a referee badge, some people you never hear of again, which is a shame. You know, we have to write to them and we have to send them all the laws of the game updates and we have to send them all the the, uh, IFAB material and then we keep them up to date writing. I still think that's amazing though, that you try and put that on every year for all the refs in the country. I guess it's the beauty of, you know, geographically... Scotland is amazing, but it's not, you know, it's, it's a lot smaller than some of your other countries. We're not, we're not the size of Australia, you know. <laughs> so it would, be, it would be a bit like trying to run every referee in Europe, I suppose, coming yeah. together, you know, because size. So the furthest we've got is nobody has to fly. Um, so the furthest drive is a four-hour drive, maybe, um, down to Edinburgh from the top of Scotland, down and in actual fact we usually split it into two that's what we're doing this time so we've got all the north of scotland referee associations coming together this saturday on zoom and then in two weeks time we've got all the south of scotland referees coming together on zoom we're given them the same material it's the same day and it's actually the same coaches we're going to use it's all our category one coaches uh, referees 
So a bit like yourself, uh, uh, Jack, in terms of the senior referees in the country, we get we get we use them as the coaches. Um, so they've already got all the clips, they've already got all the videos, clips. they've already got all the coaching notes, and it's seven o'clock tonight actually, which is be the small hours of your morning tomorrow morning. We've got the all the coaches coming on a half hour Zoom to run through the clips, and it's, it's being managing that. So Benji, it's you know it's, it's one of the challenges. Nothing beats getting together on the pitch, yeah. you know, getting them all and running through the, the scenarios of, you know, flagging technique for assistance, positioning, running scenarios. It's, it's part of the fun is trying to get either we bring amateur players in and we set up scenarios on the pitches or um, more of a laugh is to try to get some of the referees to pretend that they can actually play football and set up some of the scenarios. So we'll say that F's right. Five of you are attacking, five of you are defending, there's bibs. Right, you line up as a defence, one of you go take the free kick, two of you run out, two of you run in, and then we'll we'll try to get an offside scenario set up and we'll film it. We'll set the, the camera up. I think a lot of the associations are doing that type of training now. But the referees were rubbish at football, that's why we're referee. Yeah, there's one or two good ones. But oh the balls are getting kicked out of the stadiums, the balls are getting <laughs> got along the ground. Who's who's the best uh, who's the best player out of your category one ref? So I reckon Bobby Madden would fancy himself a bit. Um, the worst, and he won't mind me saying it, is, is William Collum, Willie. Uh, he tells the story, actually, he was on a podcast in the summer, that when he was a kid at school, he knew he was rubbish outfield, so he thought it'll be a goalkeeper. He did one game, I think they were 13-0 down at half time. And it was, it was like under 13s at the school. And then when he was 14, he thought, and in those days, we've upped the limit now, but in those days you could at 14 be a referee in Scotland. Now it's 16 because we've decided it was a little bit young. Um, but Willie went straight to be a referee because he knew that he couldn't, you know, his timing. When we do like, if we're away on a conference or we used to go to La Manga in Spain for our uh, winter training camps, and at the end of training, you'd have a really good half hour, uh, two hour, two, three hour session where we would get, you know, hammered sort of thing. You know, train, train, sprints, take uh, get your heartbeat monitor, take all that. And then at the end, you'd have a bit of fun. We used to play baseball. But, yeah, I played it as a kid at school. Yeah, so, but we don't use a bat and a ball, we use a football. Kickball sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, kickball, aye. So it's the same scenario. You've got the four bases and then one team, and then you kick the ball as far as you can down the field of play. And of course, the same rules. If you get caught, the whole team's out. Try to see William kicking a football. It was like, if you videoed it, it would be funny. It just got no sense of time. <laughs> but Bobby, I, Bobby likes to, he could boot the ball the full length of the field to play. He could he could score from the other half, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's your specialty, Jack. When we play at training, that's Jack. Jack sort of pivots as the central defender kind of sitting in front of the goalkeeper and whenever the ball gets close, he'll just kick it up the field, clear it. One of the best memories I have, we were doing a session like that at our training and someone, because obviously we can't play very well at all, someone goes and just like pull someone's shirt and they're going down. Everyone pauses and yeah. Jack just puts his two arms up and starts yelling, advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a good memory, Benji. I don't remember yes. that one. I don't remember that one. But it's funny, Crawford, that you said that Willie was a goalkeeper. So there's some strange theme that we've discovered through these podcasts that 
all referees at some point seem to have been a goalkeeper in a past life. You know, maybe there's that goalkeepers are crazy and, and referees are crazy. Yeah. There's there's something in along the same lines. That- <laughs> yeah, only one person said they were an attacker and everyone else just comes from goalkeeping. Yeah. I was too small. I'm only five foot six or I was too small to be a goalkeeper. I was kind of, um, my when I grew up as a youngster, it was like Gordon Strachan was my sort of yeah. Scottish favourite player. Small Midfield, I was right midfield. I played old-fashioned right winger, then moved back to right, right, right midfield, and then as I got older, I, I slowly moved further back, further. <laughs> and then when they invented overlapping fullbacks, I thought it's time for me to pack it in. It's it's different. Zoom the challenges that it gives us Benji. We keep trying to arrange on-field exercises, but every time we get anywhere near it, we then go back into some kind of restricted training mode, um, which is. We're, we're still allowed to do non-contact training at the moment. We're not allowed as adults at the moment to have contact training under the COVID guidance at the moment. We can go and train our guys. It was, it's usually the fun bit at the end of training that's, that's been banned, you know, where you maybe have a, a two-touch kick about and a bit of a laugh at the end of training. Yeah, it's the best guys. bit. <laughs> I know, but that's banned at the moment, I'm afraid. If you're over 18 in Scotland at the moment at an amateur level, professional football is allowed. So our guys can still go. We can still organise fitness tests, which is good because we're doing our annual round of fitness tests at the moment. Just that, again, some of the running tracks are not open. They've not reopened because they're still in viability challenges as to whether it's viable for them to open up or not. You know, maybe not getting enough people using it. Yeah, we'll see what stays though, because we were saying some of the some of the theoretical training definitely reconsiders the need for how far everyone was traveling before. And maybe it, it does allow you to get some of the groups together a bit more regularly. So we'll see what sticks and yeah. what good things can come out of this. I think it might be a new way of working, Benji. I think, you know, we're, it's about like we're going to be working from home, I think, even more after COVID because people are used to it. You've proven you can do it. And referee training, why would they get somebody to drive three hours from Inverness to come to Edinburgh to sit in a classroom for two hours when I can do it on Zoom and It'll save me money because I don't need to pay them expenses to come down. Multiply that up by 200 referees very quickly. I'm saving two or three thousand pounds. Cost wise, it's um, it's a godsend for federations. Because no income um, coming through the gate. Scotland had a playoff game two weeks or three weeks ago in the Euro qualifiers, and it was a sellout back in March. Fifty-two thousand at Hamden sold out. More than a million pounds of income through the gate. Of course, it, it just got caught by lockdown. It was a week after lockdown occurred. Um, so we played it three weeks ago with zero crowd and you know that million pounds lost and then we're just currently just at the weekend there played the semi-finals of last season's Scottish FA Cup again two sellout crowds empty nothing so that's a million pounds a time uh, so there's three games and then we've got the final in December of last year's Scottish FA Cup um, and again it would have been a sellout and because it's our tournament at our stadium then we're, we're not getting any money on it. So there's, there's like £5 million lost. We just can't live with that forever going forward because that's between that and the commercial side, that's your income stream, basically, for our for us as an FA. And that's gone. It's disappeared. And the, the commercial partners are are saying that they're struggling. So impress as hard as we can um, and, and look at different ways of promoting them. So... You know, the, the masks that the fourth officials wear, Specsavers, I think, are asking if they can sponsor them and put Specsavers on the side of the mask. Why, why do the fourthies, and this is a, a personal question, why are the fourthies wearing the masks? Because I've seen it in the Premier League too, but the managers aren't wearing them. I don't know if that's a sensitive topic or anything, but... 
Yeah, no, it's a wee bit. Our guys are fed up wearing them uh, because they don't want to. However, our medical experts are saying that even though you're tested, because all our guys at the Premier League are tested for COVID every week, we're part of the professional um, sports programme, so we're getting tested every week. Um, and I raised that point as the referees did, but it's all about minimising risk because you might be tested on the Thursday or even the Tuesday and your game's on the Saturday. And because you're still living life okay within COVID guidelines, but you're still going shopping, you're still going to Costa Coffee or you're still going to wherever, then you have people in that technically may have picked up COVID. So what they're saying is to our guys to minimise the risk, our medical advice to you is to wear your mask. It's up to the team's but it's funny, you see all the medical staff in the technical areas wear the aprons and the masks and the, the gloves, but the managers don't. So that tells me something. It's a bit like um, I had a friend who was a doctor and he wears glasses. And I said to him, do you ever fancy, you know, what with this laser surgery for your eyes? And he said, well, the day I see doctors not wearing glasses, then I might go for it. But if doctors are wearing glasses, then there's, they're maybe thinking there's a wee bit of a risk there. <laughs> so if your doctor on the technical side, the physio is wearing their mask. I think I might wear mine as well. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Just about minimising the risk, Jack. Yeah, one or two of the guys said, "Can I not wear my mask?" But because they're on television and the cameras tend to face that side of the field of play, mm. um, we've said we've got to be almost cleaner than everybody else, whiter than white, sort of thing. You know, make sure that we are. Makes sense. Yeah, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. sets the example as well to, to everybody else at home. How have the refs in general, you know, as a leader of the team, how have you felt with them? How have they coped? Yeah, they're, they're coping pretty well, actually, if I'm being honest, because um, the um, the testing regime is they have to be tested in the Premier League every week uh, prior to their game. And they have to go in and uh, be tested. And the clubs are working with us because we're going in to get uh, tested at the clubs. We do, we do set a test regime up at Hamden each Tuesday night and each Thursday night as well of, of an evening at six, six o'clock to allow the, the guys and the girls that are refereeing and apprenticeship to go in and get tested at Hamden if they can't do it during the day at the clubs. But if you live in Aberdeen or you live in Dundee or you live in Edinburgh, it's not handy to drive to Glasgow to Hamden to get tested and rather than us set our own tests up. So the testing regime, the guys are, and the girls are doing pretty well. Um, and making sure that they're getting their testing. We are having to send out all guidelines all the time, every week, to everybody. And even last night, I was sending out emails at 7.30 last night, saying to the referees, here's the latest set of travel guidelines, where you can go, where you can't go. If you referee amateur football, then if you're over 18 and you're in these areas, your games are off. If you're refereeing amateur over 18s, and these areas, your games are on. But the guidance is you're not really meant to travel between one area to another to referee at amateur level. You should be staying in your area to do your refereeing. Professional sports exempt. So our top class referees and assistant referees, both in the male and the female game, are exempt uh, and they're allowed to, to travel. So so they're handling it as well as we can be. It's just life. It's it's. It's, it's the world we live in, isn't it? How are you dealing with uh, training with uh, with the situation? 
Training is a challenge. Um, as I said earlier, we can do uh, non-contact training, but only if you're in what we call a tier three area, you have to stay within your area. You're not allowed to travel to another area. So your training in Edinburgh is, in, is actually in our National Performance Centre on the outskirts of Edinburgh. So you can actually go. But if you live five miles in, to the west of Edinburgh, you're in a different local authority area and you're not meant to travel into Edinburgh. So we're having to say to the referees, you can't go training. You're going to have to train on your own. So all the guys have got polar watches. We have a sports scientist that analyzes the results every month. And in fact, last month just came in last night. And the guys and girls are training on their own, a lot of them, um, in your area. So, and, and the weather's not too bad at the moment. I mean, we're in early winter, late autumn. So the weather is starting to get a bit cold. I mean, it's a beautiful day today, but you know it's only about seven degrees outside at the moment. So, so they're just having to manage their own stuff, Ali, and make sure that they can get the training done as best they can do. So, but because kind of Big Brother's watching with the polar, <laughs> we do tend to find that they're all pretty good. Um, and we know that if we see them doing a game and they're not in the right shape, then it will get commented on. And if it doesn't get improved then they know there's a risk that they wouldn't be getting used on games. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not training, it will reflect in during a game. So if you don't want to train, you're just cheating yourself. So. Yeah. And if they're not training and it's not feeding through on their polar data, um, and this is all our Category 1 referees, all our Category 2 referees um, who do sort of the, the level below the professional league, all our specialist assistants who operate in the Premier League, they've all got the polar watches um, and we get all their data once a month and the sports scientist analyses, are they doing enough mixed sessions? Are they doing enough recovery sessions? Are they doing enough intermediate sessions? And if they're not, they get feedback every month. You know, you can maybe improve on a certain part of it. And then we report that into our referee committee every month and they get the report and they can see at a glance, it's traffic lit. So if you're green, good to go. If you're amber, we'll be looking for a little comment at the side to say how to get green. And if you're red, I usually email the referees myself because there's thankfully so few of them each month. Sometimes it's because their watch is broken, their strap's broken, they didn't get their download done in time. And very occasionally it's because they've not been training and they know, well, that's up to you. If you don't train, you won't be around for very much longer because, you know, you look at the shape that, that you guys are in when you're refereeing. Um, you know, as I say, when you pan down the line before a game now, 50, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the referee would be the one you could tell the ref because they were a different shape. But absolutely now, the only difference you can tell is because you're wearing a referee's top. We're all athletes. We're all training. We've all got the body shape. We've all got the recovery. We've all got the, the training. And, and it's, it's culture now, I think, globally. Yeah, I reckon that, you know, if I was in... The starting lineup next to Cristiano Ronaldo, you couldn't tell the difference between clearly me and not, clearly not. Reckon, boys. Yeah, you were. You wished, Jack. You definitely wished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was only once in the dressing room. I did an Ajax and Real Madrid game in Champions League, and I was the fourth official. He was playing Real Madrid. Oh yeah. And it's surprising. You don't realise sometimes how tall some players are. I was quite surprised how you know. Obviously, he's he's got a physique that anybody would want. You're going around and you're going and doing the stud control and the, the, the equipment check beforehand. Um, I was I was quite surprised. It was um, how, how tall he is when I when I was. It was only it was only once I, I was on the, the game with with him. So. 
Want to get fitter than you've ever been before this off-season? Or perhaps just in-season, you want to be better prepared for your game? Head to our website at refcoach.org for some fantastic referee-specific training plans. They'll get you in the best shape you've ever been. Yeah, I'm quite fortunate in as much as um, I still had quite a busy full-time job. I worked in a bank at the time, and therefore in Scotland, we don't really, we can't afford to have full-time referees. Um, so you're having to balance, like a lot of countries, your, your full-time profession, but being a what I call a part-time professional referee, because everyone says, oh, your referees are not professional. Well, we all like to think we are. We're just part-time professional. Uh, we're not full-time. So um, I was quite fortunate through having that ability to balance that and balance the refereeing career with the full-time job during the day. And also, as I worked my way through the, the, the ranks, my work was very supportive uh, of the refereeing. So, I mean, I started way back in the 90s refereeing and started like most folk do at youth football, um, boys football at the time. And I got into it because I was helping run a youth football club. And sometimes you would turn up to the games and the referee wouldn't, there'd be no referee. So you would just stick your tracksuit top on and go and referee it uh, without a badge. And eventually a guy at my work said, look, why don't you take your refereeing badge? And at the time I was still playing as well. I played amateur. I didn't play to any professional level, but um, I was in my early 20s and I played and I refereed for a couple of years. Um, and then eventually the refereeing career took off more, stopped playing and probably similar to you guys in terms of the uh, structure. You get asked, you know, you go to training, you seem quite keen. Um, are you interested in going to the next level? We'll send somebody out to watch you. And before you know it, sort of three seasons later, you're running the line um, at the lower level of the professional leagues. And then you get you get the bug. You then get promoted through. And I, and I reached category one status in 2002. And the way in Scotland you do it for the first few years, you referee the lower professional leagues, even at category one, but you're fourth official still on the Premier League. Then after a year or two, if you're progressing, you get to what our championship level is. And then um, in 2005, I was um, pointed to my first premiership match. Um, so that was that was good. Uh, and by then, you know, the first premiership match, it was up at Inverness, actually. It was Inverness and Falkirk. And Inverness and Falkirk are now not in the premiership anymore. They're, they're further down. But that was my first premiership game. I still remember it quite clearly. You're excited. You've got, um, it's not live TV, but all our premiership games are covered by TV. So you know that there's nowhere to hide. Um, but having come through the training as a fourth official, before that, you know, you'll have been used to that as well. The camera's on you anyway. And because you're part of the team and you're all mic'd up, you're part of the team anyway. So it was a, for me, it was a, a natural progression to then become the referee. Yeah, that was the first game. And 2005, 2006, um, I was appointed on to European teams. Uh, I didn't actually get a FIFA badge myself because, I, um, as I say, um, I was still working full time and balancing the, the career, etc. But between 2006 and 2012, I was on the the teams that we have that are appointed to Champions League, Europa League, um, going around Europe. So that was brilliant. You know, I think I had a 21, 20 or 21 over the five year period, um, about uh, four or five a year. Champions League or Europa League games, usually as fourth official or 
in those days we, we had this additional assistant behind the goals. So my last game in Europe, I remember, was Atletico Madrid. And it was the final season, I think, that they were in the old stadium. And for two minutes yeah. at the end of the game, I let my guard down a wee bit and had a little look around the stadium and think, right, this has been a good journey. It's been fun. You know, it's like you can never let your guard down for a second when you're refereeing because it'll come back and bite you. You know, if you're thinking in 88 minutes, the game's done and dusted, somebody will do something stupid and if you're not concentrating. So so that that two minutes at the end, I looked around and I thought, because I knew it was my last game in Europe, I knew I was coming off the teams um, and that was 2012. And then I uh, stayed category one until 2017 in Scotland. Amazing. Full circle, full circle. 2017 I- actively um, became an observer. And then this year I got this job. So that's great. And for our listeners, the current the current job is, is in with the Scottish FA itself as the referee operations manager. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right, Benji. Yeah, head of referee operations. So um we have a small team of nine in the referee operations team. Uh, we've got offices in, in Hamden in the stadium and we're based there. So as I say, we've got about two thousand referees that we're responsible for. About 350 of them are on what we call the senior list who support senior football, either as referees, assistant referees, fourth officials. Um, And they're split into 12 local regions. And each region has got a manager. And each of the managers come in and report into the central team. So, So my team are responsible for managing all the administration all the way from the newest referee learning, going through the new entrant course, right up to our elite referees, up to uh, up to William Collum, Bobby Madden, John Beaton, are their top three uh, UEFA officials. And we've got another four FIFA referees as well. So we've got seven, seven male and one female FIFA referee in Scotland at the moment. And the appropriate number of assistant FIFA assistants that sit underneath that as well. So we do all that and... I can't believe I get paid for working in football. It's fantastic. You said, you know, the transition from fourth official into referee was a natural sort of way to progress. But obviously, as a person, you're, you're always going to get first-time jitters when you have your first game in the middle, when you are leading the game. And, you know, you talked about first time in your premiers in, in Scotland, first time in, in Europe, which would have been incredible yeah. up to the last time with the Atletico, which I can't even imagine how amazing that would have been. So you yeah. as, as Crawford, what were some of the challenges you found in approaching these games and how did you prepare for that? Did you have a particular routine? Did you have you know, uh, an anchor moment, something that you did, even maybe there was a bit, you know, odd or personal that you found that made you get into the, you know, into the game, switch your mindset into a game time mindset. Yeah, for me, the game time starts the minute you get the appointment through earlier that week. Uh, we got appointments. I'm quite communicative. I like to build a rapport with, with the teams that are FRE, with the players. Um, with the clubs and the, the the Saturday or the Sunday game starts with making contact with the clubs and checking things like the team colours, making sure that you've got everything in control as early as you can in the week. And I used to find that that set the scene a little bit because you'd be talking to 
maybe the club secretary, a club admin person, by email you're starting to build that rapport so that when you do come into the game and you turn up, you're not just knocking on the door or walking through that entrance um, not mentally prepared or ready. For me, it was about managing the 90-minute jitters was helped by getting the pre-match all nice and comfortably organised and not worrying about turning up two hours before the game, not exactly knowing who's going to be in what colour, what top, top I'm going to wear. I mean, we always carry every colour top anyway in case there's a last-minute change or something. But, um, but, but for me, it was about being communicative. And then when you arrive at the ground, not being best buddies because you've got a line you know, with the players, they have to know that, yeah, I'll talk to you and getting to know them and, and building up that rapport through the years, coming from fourth official, but even before that, when you were the assistant, because I was assistant from 97 to 2002, you get to know and build up that rapport. So you're not actually going in cold to anything for the first time domestically. Yeah, cup finals, they're different. You know, when you get a cup final. We've got a level of football, which is a level below senior football in Scotland, which is like non-league. And it's 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 either ex-professionals or it's young up and coming who want to be professional. It's called junior football in Scotland. It's not juniors, it's not kids, it's grown adults. It's just not senior. And they've got a, quite a big competition, a Scottish Cup as well. And I was appointed to that cup final in 2001. <laughs> it's live on television. And that was my first jitters, I think week leading up to that, everybody's emailing you, phoning you, probably texting at that point because there wasn't, you know, WhatsApps or anything else going around in those days. Like, I'm lucky if there was internet, I think, looking back. You know, your first cup final, your first trip to Europe, you're quite quiet. You know, I'm not um, going in and being overly cocky. There's a quiet confidence. You've got to have that. But being aware and doing your homework beforehand for me was whether it's domestic, international, whatever, helped you when you get to the ground. Um, and we've probably all heard the phrase control the controllable. You know, it's a worldwide referee thing. Control things like colours, control what time you're arriving, control your journey, leave early, don't get caught up, don't be in that panic, which we all have, you know, for 20 years, I can clearly remember two occasions getting stuck in traffic and turning up half an hour. In fact, one occasion I was changing my top in the car, stuck in traffic because of was roadworks, actually getting changed in the driver's seat, getting a few queer stares from people. So I had to park my car down the street and run up the road with my referee top on, <laughs> talk my way through the turnstile and say, I'm the ref, you need to let me in. And it's like seven minutes before the game kicking off. What level of game was this? That was the semi-professional level. And the problem was that the ground I was at, there was probably a thousand people at this game, you know, it's crowd. So it was still a decent little crowd. But the senior team in the town that day, which was in Falkirk, were playing Rangers in the Scottish Cup. And as I got nearer my kickoff time, which was half an hour before the, their game, I got caught up in their traffic as well. So I've got Falkirk fans and Rangers fans walking to their game and I'm stuck in traffic trying to get my referee top on. So that wasn't the best. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that to any referee. So uh, when you got through the turnstiles, did you just, you know, hop the hop over yeah. the advertising board straight on the pitch and right, off we go, boys. <laughs> I literally hopped through the, the turnstile, 
ran through what was about maybe a 15, 20 metre deep uh, terrace down the, the steps over the, because I'm a bag on my shoulder, over the, uh, the, the, the wall, a couple of the um, stewards tried to stop me and then they looked at me and they went, we better let you go then. I said, well, there'll not be a game if you don't let me go. So I ran across the pitch. That was a one-off, um, but I would not advise any any young referee, Ali. Make sure you're prepared. They're in plenty of time. Um, and it was just everything that I had left in plenty of time. There was roadworks. <laughs> there was the big Scottish Cup game. There was, um, uh, you name it, I just got... It, a journey that should have taken me about 40 minutes took me nearly two and a half hours. Oh, my God. And how did the game go after such a crazy journey? It was a blur. It was a, honestly, <laughs> it was a blur. Um, I think I was probably just straight into it. I didn't even have time to worry about it. But all the pre-match with my assistants went out the window. You know, so you normally sit in the dressing room and run through your pre-match routine. Who's taking a note of the substitutes for that game? Who's who's doing the, the, the writing? Who's got their head up? Who's doing the, the teamwork? I just had to run in and go, right, guys. So warm-up, first five minutes of the game was the warm-up. I was I was quite aware not to try to do any massive quick 20-meter sprints in the first three minutes because the last thing I wanted after that was pulling a hammy. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, it's crazy, isn't it? That you know, I'm similar to you in my preparation. I'm very methodical. I really try and control everything that I can and love yeah. my routine. You know, I always have my kit set up the same way in the dressing room which comes to shove like with you, you were just forced to get on the pitch and do it and you can still do the job. You're not going to... Yeah, yeah you're about autopilot. Yeah, you just, you just do it. It's that yeah. quiet confidence. That's it, Benji. It was, it's not being overly arrogant or cocky, but if you want to reach the top level of refereeing, I absolutely think every referee has to have that um, confidence. Not quite arrogance is my style. I know there is referees that like to be arrogant, um, I don't think they mean it. It's mm. just probably their style. Mm. But that's them. That's what's got them mm. to the level they're at. And without that, then, yeah, the players players can get a feel for it sometimes. That, uh, well, we could take this referee today. You know, he's a bit an easy touch, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. I remember when I first came on the MPL, I was pretty young. I was 19, 20. Yeah. And, you know, I went out with the attitude that, you know, I had to take people on and stamp myself on the game or, or I'd be stamped out of the game because, you know, I was very young and I, I looked to show them that I had something about me or had that confidence, you know, with me, it's not so much quiet. Usually it's loud and shout at you confidence, but I had to show that I had that confidence. So you're right. The players would have sniffed it and yeah. they walk all over you. That's right. Yeah. Um, I remember one of my last seasons, I was well-known around all the leagues. All the players knew me because I've been refereeing in it for 15 so A player, very experienced. Tall, centre-half, six foot four, six foot. He was a big guy. I'd known him for all these years. And, and um, it, was, it was funny looking back on it. I don't, I don't lose my cool very often. But he was stretching the elastic band and it was just about to snap, you know. And uh, he just gave me a bit of grief once too many. And um, it's a bit like the Incredible Hulk, don't make me angry, because you'll not really like me when I'm angry. Um, and I just remember shouting at some, you, come here now. And I, and, I, and, I, and I was like, and he just looked at me, and he kind of walked towards me. I said, you ever say that to me once more again? And, I, and I, my experience told, because 
I stood with my back to the stand, so actually the stand couldn't really see me, and the, and the TV cameras were there. And he just looked at me, and, and, and he went, aye, okay, aye, fine, aye, it's fine. And then he turned around away, and one of my assistants on the line over the radio kit, the comms kit, said, um, I normally tell the players to calm down, but I think I might just tell you to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> and I went... It's a fair point. I think probably I might that little second. I just kind second, of second. You were human again. I wouldn't recommend that to young referees. We're all human though. But looking back on it, I was I was managing it, and I thought he knows me. I know him. We know how far. And he actually came up to the end of the game and he went, "That stretched you a little bit too far there." I says, "Yeah, I think you just did a little bit." And we had a laugh and a shake of the hands and off we went. It was all it was all good. And we laugh about it now because I still see him. He's one of the coaches now for one of the teams. He says, I remember that time where you just looked at me and I was only five, six foot four. But crikey me, I was scared of you that day. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, it's it's something very important. It's something that we've always tried to communicate through the podcast is that we are human indeed. And, you know, sometimes yeah. you can get on our nerves. And everyone has a different personality. As you said, there's going to be referees that are maybe more arrogant, some that are more confident, some that are more silent. But at the end of the day, if someone pisses us off, yeah, what can you do? Like, I think we've all been there at some stage where you just yeah. had enough. Yeah. And yeah. that's where building relationships with players really helps because then you have players like in your case that come and shake your hand at the end of the game and go, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I pushed it a little bit too far this time. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I could have, I could have re- reverted to, and again, you could say technically, there was a caution for descent there. Um, but for that little second, I'll admit, over, I think over my 25 years, either as either mm. assistant, fourth, or, or, or a referee in the top leagues, um, I can count on one hand the number of times that I did kind of lose it. Um, but communicating without talking is as important. Um, and again, you know, when you're refereeing different nationalities, you sometimes, whilst English is the chosen language, Moscow, I think it was CSKA, were playing Inter uh, in a Champions League game, and I was fourth official. And Figo, I think at the time, was assistant coach at Inter. I'm going back about seven, eight years, maybe. I think he, I think he was assistant, or he was on the coaching staff, I think. So, uh, he, yeah, he used, w- w- do you remember the year? 2011 or 2012? I will fact check this one. He would have been team manager. He was one of our representatives at European level yeah. for a while. So he was yeah. on the bench in the technical area. Uh, was it, would that be correct, Ali, that he was on there? Yeah, yeah. So there was a free kick given by the referee to the opposition. And I was standing with the fourth official stand. And, and, and it was my recollection is, and you can fact check this one, it was Figo. And he started shouting me, referee, referee, no foul, no foul. And I just looked at him and I, I didn't even open my mouth. I just went like that. And he just went. So hang on, we'll just visually describe, we'll just describe what you've done because people can't see that. So Crawford's just giving it the silent sign, zip it sign, the body language to show somebody yeah. that they need to be yeah, quiet. So apologies <laughs> for that. I wasn't sure if it was going out on um, pictures or not. But he just looked at me and he went, Sorry, referee, sorry, and he sat down. And I thought, crikey, I've just told Figo to sit in his arse and didn't even open my mouth. <laughs> I don't know if I can get away with that story or not, if that's allowable. Um, and, and you can fact check it, Ali, in case it's not 100% accurate. But for, again, referees, 
body language communication is is as important as verbal. And when we're coaching referees, you choose the tool in your toolkit that's appropriate for that moment. You know, I don't, I don't know if we can look the game up. It'll be somewhere in my records uh, as well as fourth official and um, Champions League game. But I think it was about 2011 or 2012. It's probably about seven or eight years ago. I like what you said, Crawford, though, about that refereeing toolbox. Like I've heard that phrase, you know, used a couple of times before, but not not for a while. It is a good one that, you know, every ref has their toolbox, but every ref has different tools in the toolbox, different skills, and, you know, it, and you play to your strengths. You know, if, if your strength is the, the hammer and you have to hammer someone, you use that. But, you know, if you're quieter and more confident, I really mm-hmm. like that analogy for different referees' yeah, types of skills. Yeah. And, and one of the bigger challenges that I had was, again, in your toolbox, you had to sometimes take up positions and movement that a six-foot referee can maybe take up the back post more often than not, for example, at corners, because you can see maybe over the top. But if there's any element of pushing, pulling, and try to be proactive, I learned quickly in my career it was, was more flexibility in positioning so that you get the angle so you can make the decision. So um, whilst there is generally accepted positions, and even in the laws of the game, as we know, in the pictures and the booklets and then on the app as to where you should stand, it's not prescribed 100%. So it's what fits you as a referee. Obviously, don't do it every time coming to the front post, you know, because you're too new, your assistant, and you, then you will miss a back post one. But little things like understanding and acknowledging that at times, the awareness of where the, the issues might come. So choosing the right tool in the toolkit, whether it be non-verbal communication, whether it be positioning, whether it be, again, I, in my early days, used to stand and face a player when talking to them. And sometimes if you're facing a six foot five player, he towers over you. A little trick for me was keep at least a metre back, which you need to do in COVID now, I suppose, anyway, so they don't come too close. But also go shoulder to shoulder, which is less threatening and less aggressive. And actually, there's a couple of times you could see me when I was doing games where a player would come up and I would ask the player to come over and he would come right to my face and I would actually position them and say, no, can you stand there? And I would actually stand almost, not quite side on, but it doesn't have this height thing of threatening. Um, so again, little tools in your toolbox. And I suppose if you are a six foot five referee, you might do the opposite. You might want to set your stall out to the smaller player, but then you could become seen as aggressive. So what suits you? Not a weakness, but you know, you've taken something that wasn't your strength and you've recognized it, yeah. you've adapted it, mm-hmm. and then you've gone, okay, well, I can't change it, so I just need to work out a way to deal with it. I think that's really important with refing, you know, because we all have different strengths. Like you said, you just made the example of the short ref and the tall ref. Well, yeah. they're going to deal with it in different ways. They can still get the same outcome and be just as effective, yeah. but you just have to play to your strengths and be willing to learn and adapt to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Horses for courses, as I say. Um, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. And it also depends on players, I, I think, because if you're dealing with Take Ibrahimovic, he's not the kind of guy that would, you know, taking his personality, be like, he'd be the person that sets the tone of the conversation. Um, so as a referee, you need to understand where you stand. I remember when he was playing for PSG, there was an example during a game where the referee was calling him over and he would just walk away. And he would just 
and the ref had to stand this and he then trying to call him. So that kind of technique wouldn't work with Zlatan. But it's all about understanding who you're talking to. Yeah. I, and as our referees develop in Europe as well, um, and over the years, you get to know that in your domestic league, you might want you might have that ability to stop the game and call a player over and say, look, you do that again. You know, there'll be a caution coming your way, cut it out, all the usual sort of stuff. You're not really going to get away with that with those types of players. Um, and it's a different style that you have to, to adopt when you're um, dealing with different styles of players. I'm not saying that you um, bow to them or anything. You don't. You set your stall out, but in a slightly different way. So you just have to be that little bit more commanding, maybe that little bit more short and sharp, because you're not going to get a conversation. They are going to go, yeah, yeah, ref, and wave their hand at you and walk off. So it's about um, handling in a slightly different manner. Hey, listeners. We interrupt today's podcast to tell you about a great podcast from our friends over at The Football Shed. Jeff, John and Rog are three football fans stuck in the wrong time zone and they provide insight and banter about English football. Being in Australia, Ale, Benji and I are very familiar with having to watch football on the wrong time zone. Indeed. Being an Inter fan, I've been getting up at the weirdest times to watch my team play. The Football Shed is a conversation by fans for fans just like any chat with your football mad mates at the pub. Search for The Football Shade on Facebook and listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Crawford, obviously it's been, you know, a hell of a first year or almost first year in your role. No one thought COVID yeah. would have um, disrupted things like they have, but... yeah. Now you've got your feet under the table, albeit in a COVID environment. What's your goal for Scottish refereeing? Where, where do you want to see it in five years? Yeah, um, I want to continue to develop all of our top referees so that they're still seen as being um, in the upper levels of, of UEFA uh, refereeing. UEFA have different degrees, different levels of, of referee that are FIFA referees. So you've got elite, you've got level one, category one, level two, and we've been fortunate over the last few years to have two of our FIFA referees at the elite level, uh, another two or three at the next level down. Um, so we've got strategic goals where we want to maintain that top level. So that's the ultimate um, at the, the highest level of our game. Um, and we have to put development plans in place, training, support the referees with all of the, the, the background kit uh, that they need and support and coaching for, for that level. In terms of the development pathway for our that level and continue to develop that and um, I want to, to maintain and keep the, the five-year sort of strategic plan that we've got in place and then roll that each year so that we're always looking five years in advance as to where's your next category one referees coming from where's your next um, FIFA referees I know we can't talk about age it's 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 your ability however you can't get away from the fact that in five years time who are our 22, 23, 24-year-old referees that'll be 29, 30, 31, and how do we develop them so that they're ready to have that experience at the top level? And then the pyramid continues. I've then got the next level down. We've got our Category 1 referees do our, our, our SPFL, the Professional Football League, 
uh, of which there's four divisions, the Premiership and then the three below that. We've then got our Category 2 referees that do the sort of the non-league football level below that, who's in there. So it's a pyramid. So it's having that strategic direction, coaching programmes in place, keeping to the up-to-date with technology. So I want to continue to develop the, the coaching and development. So that's the, the pyramid all the way down in, in terms of the senior football. We've also got, I don't know what it's like in Australia, actually, but I guess it's the same as here. The female side of the game is just exploding. Um, yeah, well, especially with playing, refereeing's um, on its way to catch up. You know, we've had some very successful referees internationally, but um, definitely women's football is just soaring. And our Matildas are far better than our men's team, so our women's team. You know, the, the men are up there as well at the moment. But from a female perspective for refereeing, I've set some targets that I want to get an increase in numbers coming through from females who are refereeing. Um, I want to give them exactly the same opportunities and development plan. There's just less of them at the moment. Um, so that's a strategic aim. Um, and then at grassroots level, we were talking earlier about the opportunities we give our referees to attend two conferences a year, two what we call regional training days. So they come together. Um, I want to continue to develop our online um, ability to maximise the use of things that we're learning and take the positives out of COVID so that um, we're still developing our grassroots referees. They're the lifeblood of football. Without referees turning up in the terrible weather that they do in Scotland during January and February on pitch setups where you might have 10 pitches all in a row, uh, you'll look at it on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of January and they'll all be full. It's great, but without the referees. So I want to use technology to reach out to them as much as possible to make sure they get the videos, they get the analysis, they get the opportunity to do coaching, which they've maybe not had before because we've not utilised the technology to such an extent. Um, I need to continue to develop and coach and educate. And again, just on Sunday there, we had all our Category 1 referees, our specialist assistant referees from the Premiership, and all our observers together for three hours on, Saturday, on Sunday morning on Zoom. So we have to keep the observers ticking over and up to speed um, and making sure they are fully knowledgeable. And again, who's the referees that might be retiring in the next five years? Where are our future observers coming from? Our, our referee coaches? I mean, I think the observers are a bit of an old-fashioned term. I'd like to call them referee coaches. Because when people ask me over the last two and a half years, what were you before I took this job? Um, I say I'm a referee coach because people outside football don't understand the term observer. You know, it's, it's a bit officious, old-fashioned, um, dictatorial, whereas modern culture is all about, okay, some, it's not all about putting the arm around, but it's about maintaining motivation, maintaining skills and changing the culture and style a little bit of our referee coaches. So multifaceted really in terms of where we want it to be we could use what you just said as an advertisement for for what we do with ref coach because that's exactly the the sort of mentality that we've been trying to to communicate and also it's been a thing that it's been slightly changing even here we want to be referee coaches not the observer, like back in the days, the observer, when I refed in Italy, we never used to know, especially when you started. And then there's this random old man that comes into the change room after the game and goes, oh, I'm, I'm the observer. And he gives you the feedback yeah. slip and you're like, 
oh god you were watching like from behind the tree that's so creepy it's <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we we used to have that. We used to have the observers when I was coming through in the nineties. They would hide behind trees. They would sit in their car even because yeah. they could see from the car, and they wouldn't get us to get out their car. And then you get the support through a week later. And you're like, no, no, no. We're all open. The referees know when a coach is coming. They know they're there. They come in before the game. They have a chat. They if there's communications kit, we give our referee coaches and our observers uh, the spare referee radio kit yeah. so they can listen in during the game so they can give coaching on the communication and because we've been using it now for 10 12 years a lot of our observers and coaches now actually used it as referees whereas when it first came out they had these old gentlemen who are again their heart is in it and, and bless them you know they've put their life into referee yeah but it's moved on so much in the last 15 years yeah. How did you find, because you stopped refing not long ago, about three years ago, correct? Yeah, 2017, yeah. Yeah, and then you moved on very quickly onto being a referee coach and then into your yeah. current position. So probably some of the officials you used to work with are still refereeing. So I lived something similar. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit younger, but I had to stop due to injury a few years back. And then I transitioned into being an observer and, well, and, and a referee coach, pardon. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of people that I worked with, I came through the ranks with. Um, for example, Jack and I have worked together in all different roles and, uh, and situations. Uh, he's been my assistant, I've been his assistant, I've been his fourth official, all this sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah. how did you find transitioning into their role and, you know, keeping the relationship with your ex-colleagues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's got its challenges. It absolutely has. Uh, but you've got to have the strength of character to call out when, you know, and in most of the referees, you know when you've you not had a great game. Uh, I find that the most difficult thing, but you can't shy away from it. You've got to make that call to them and they wouldn't expect anything else. I wouldn't think, um, you know, they're kind of expect. So the referee coach or observer will, will do the report in the game, but most of the games at that level are, are on TV and I'll have seen them over the weekend or I'll have had a phone call from the referee coach saying, um, yeah, the report will be coming in and, you know, there was a missed penalty or there was, I think there was a red card and they only gave a yellow or whatever. Um, now they do that part feedback however if it's of a level where I think you know I need to pick the phone up as well and have that conversation and I've done it I, I won't pretend I love it I like it but it's a requirement of the job and it's a bit like what we spoke about earlier about being the strong referee on the field to play you can't be the player's mate or buddy all the time there's a line that people have to know that I'll be your friend and I'll be your colleague and I'll be your boss but I'm not going to be your friend and your colleague all the time if I need to step over that line and make that call. And again, if need be, we had one of our last get-togethers before lockdown in March and I'd only been in the role eight weeks and I needed to go and sort of quiet chat with one of the refs and take them away into a corner and we sat down in, in an area of the, the National Performance Centre in the outskirts of Edinburgh here. And, you know, I had to say, your performances and your trend over the, over the season... We're going to have to give you a bit of a, a break from the, the top league uh, for three or four months and give you a chance to go back, practice some of the things that, you know, you've 
maybe not quite come up to scratch on. That was a difficult conversation to have. Um, they were a bit upset, but, you know, we're trying to help them. We're trying to get them back in. So these are my ex-colleagues. Um, and because it was only three years ago and we've got 30 Category 1 referees in Scotland and another 30 specialist assistants, there's only been about four or five new ones since I retired. So 25 of them are still guys I, I operated with either as fourth um, or they were my fourth and the same with the assistants. Um, there is positives, don't get me wrong. Most of them still WhatsApp me. I still get the messages. I still get the, you know, how you doing, mate, and all that sort of stuff. And I don't mind that. Yeah. But the challenge is when it crosses the mate line, that, and, and they get to build a, a reputation for being friendly and approachable. But you know, when you've crossed that line and you're going to get the same treatment that everybody else will get. Let's respect that. I'm sorry, Alec. Can you? Oh, yeah. I, I was basically going to say the same thing. I think, you know, that's when having the mindset of being a coach doesn't mean that, sorry, let me phrase, being that mindset of I'm a coach and I'm a referee coach means that I'm going to be honest, but I'm working for you to improve. So if I ever had to have a tough conversation, I'll be honest, but I'm not telling you you've done something wrong or there's something you could have done better because I want you to fail, but I'm bringing it up because I know you can do better. I know you are good enough to be there and I want you to learn and think about it. Uh, you know, Jack always says it is Perfect. Yeah, yeah, like Jack always says it. He knows that when I watch his games, I'm going to be tougher than anyone else because I know what he can do. So my expectations go up. And if I bring up even the stupidest thing, it's not because I want to pick on him but it's because I know that he's got potential. So I want to help him get even better. So I think that's... Sometimes I think you're picking on me. Well, sometimes I do, but that's just because I, I, I got to have a bit of fun. Uh, it's the same. You know, you want to get the balance right. And I think it's all about balance. In the category for maybe quite a few years, six, seven, eight, nine years. And they're maybe not progressing to the upper echelons. And they're doing okay. Kind of not doing anything wrong. But if I want the best and there's referees behind that I think could, you know, do better, I want to help these guys get better at the level they're at. And it's making that tough call that sometimes says, look, we've given you the feedback, we have given you the hand around the shoulder, we have given you the tools, we have given you the coaching, and you're still kind of performing at the level you were at. That's a tough decision to make that I'm going to have to say, as an ex-colleague of mine, I think there's somebody coming in behind you that could do better. Um, and that's nothing new. We've been doing it forever. It's just that tough conversation. And I've had loads of colleagues and mates when I was the referee that had that conversation and have gone on to, let's say, play a bit more golf maybe than they were refereeing before because <laughs> they've been advised that you've, you've, done it, you've done it, you've done brilliant. You know, we can put you back to level. You can still serve the game of football. You can still referee. But we want to give somebody else a chance at the top level now. And that's a tough gig to do. Um, and I'll be honest, don't look forward and I don't enjoy those conversations, but they're a necessary evil of developing your country's top referees to be the best they can. If after having done all the coaching, they're still kind of at the level they're at. Yeah. So that's a tough one. So that's the, the change between one of the boys and 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 the boss, so to speak. Um, yeah. And it's funny, funny getting some of the guys who, who email them and go, hiya boss, how are you doing? Like, Stop <laughs> calling me boss. Hey gaffer. And they're like, well, 
Aye, uh, well, you are. And it's about like a player becoming a player manager. Yeah. Um, um, you know, so we've got a rule that when you stop refereeing at top level, you just can't, if you want to be an observer or a coach, you just can't referee anymore. Because, um, you know, even at youth level, um, you've got to make that distinction because they might come and watch you at a youth game you're doing. And for all the best intentions in the world, you might make a mistake because we're all human. Um, and you might think, right, yeah, I could have done that better. So we, we don't allow our sort of coaches to become player coaches, if you know what I mean. You're either a referee or you're, an, or you're a coach slash observer. Um, you can't do both. Albeit, if you're one of the older category ones like I was, I, get, I got the opportunity to go and watch some of the young, younger referees who've got a development path. If you think you might want to become a coach or observer in the fullness of time, we'll start to give you the odd junior game to go and watch and practice your report writing skills. Practice So it's a conveyor belt from that as well. You don't just suddenly stop your refereeing and then Monday morning you're now a coach. We do have that period where you're still the ref, but you're not a full-time referee, observer or coach. Yeah. That's very smart. So we yeah. do that. So I find that, um, that, that's been the one challenge, Ali. Amazing. Well, I think, you know, having spent the last hour, hour and 15 talking to you, Crawford, I think we can safely say that Scottish refereeing and, and as a part of that Scottish football is in, the, is in a safe pair of hands. There's uh, there's no doubt about that. And I really thank you for sharing your insight in particular at the end there about the challenges um, that you face as a new referee manager and how it's changed your relationship with your colleagues. And I think I've just gained a bit of empathy for um, our referee managers, to be honest, because I've never really put myself in their shoes or had a conversation with them like I've just had with you. So hopefully um, might have developed some empathy for myself with... with that last about 10 minutes until you get the next coaching comment. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be back thinking, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know. I, I'll send you a message and said, hey, Gaffer, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've forgotten my own lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no I love it and I'm very very fortunate to have got the job I'm fortunate to have had 25 years of experience and, as a referee and then balancing that out with the business experience I had where I was in a, in a large finance and a large bank where I was a senior manager I've combined you know both the business and the refereeing in the current job because this is about strategy, it's about finance, it's about balancing the books, it's about coaching your team, all of the same stuff that's in business. And I love the links between business coaching and sports coaching. And I think you can bring both to the same party. <laughs>